0: I was so blessed this morning. I, um, by the way, thank you all for showing up today. <laughs> After last week, right? Um, I tuned in to the One Chapel live stream at 9 o'clock. And uh, I was so blown away by Pastor Ross's presentation concerning us, this building, first of all. And also concerning us. He talked about, he honored us. He talked about the 35 years that we have been here in Austin and that God had sent me here to take authority over the principalities and the powers of the city, that we were like a forerunner. And uh, uh, then he talked about how the, the Lord had drawn us together with one heart. And then he said, pastor bill and the leaders when we after march 31st they're going to join with us and they're going to encourage their people that feel led to, to to also join and then he went on to talk about the restoration and then we would all come back here to this building towards the end of the summer or by december or De- september and the part that struck me though was this comments about unity how that there's been so much division in the body of Christ, it's been a toxic division, and how this is going to be a demonstration of God's unity, and that dovetails on what happened Tuesday. I met here Tuesday with uh, with Pastor Ross and with the pastor of the Liberty Hill Chapel and the, the the Lake Travis and the Kyle, along with Kim Swafford, who's one of the associate pastors. They're here in Oak Hill. They have ten, 10 members on staff in the Oak Hill campus, which is the mother campus, which this will be the mother campus here. And it was kind of interesting when Ross introduced me to Kim. She's a lady. Has three children and nine grandchildren. He said, this is my Cheryl. <laughs> and so that was, that was pretty cool. Um, so I met with them for a while, and it was so fun. And then I left, and as I was driving down the street, the anointing of the Lord came on me. And it was similar to the anointing that came on me Sunday, and after all these years, I have somewhat of an inkling of of the anointings, um, and I often recognize what anointing it is. But this was a different anointing, uh, and so I'm I'm questioning the Lord, what is this anointing? And the Lord said, "It's the anointing of the blessing of unity," and it dawned on me that. There's a unity that we have as a people, but if we dare to step out and begin to have a unity with another people, it brings a whole new meaning to, anoint, to, to a unity and to the anointing of what it could be. By the way, he mentioned you, Eric, on the tape. Not by name. <laughs> but he said that it was even a couple of people from Austin Cathedral that were here last Friday night at our two-hour worship and then all-night prayer meeting. And some of you are wondering about One Chapel being a seeker friendly church. Um, you know, it's not too seeker friendly when you have a two hour worship service and then you have by six a.m. the next morning you still have hundred and thirty people at prayer. So that's pretty seeker of the Lord, right? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but in that this thing that's happened with Ross and I the last few months, it's just been an incredible credible time because it all began with a cup of coffee and you know that's what pastors do they drink coffee right it all began with a cup of coffee and since that point there was an instantaneous unity between our hearts and I know sometimes as a pastor you can overstate things I've never really been known to do that but some pastors (laughs) overstate things (laughs) <laughs> um, I begin to recognize in this man Someone that I could be one with Not that I can't be one with anyone But if you've ever hung around pastors You know that us pastors are not Usually the most pleasant people to be one with <laughs> Because unfortunately Unfortunately So, so th- these guys are leaving When I said that one right So unfortunately Unfortunately um, Uh, Many times, (laughs) what did he say? It's not true. Not true, okay. That was Justin and, yeah. They they can only stand so much. They have to leave. There's too much presence of the Lord. (laughs) They have to to leave the sanctuary. Actually, they went to get a cup of coffee. (laughs) Sometimes you stir people up when you start talking about things, and they have to go do what you say. But of all the pastors I've known in 50 years, I would say that Ross Parsley is the only one I've known that, well, uh, it's hard to say. I mean, they've all been great. All pastors are great. You should pray for your pastors. They need it. But this man has a heart that's like David, a heart after God that really was unique. And for this to work, for this to happen the way it's happening, it's almost beyond comprehension how incredible this is. I've never been... And and I can say this now more than I could say it last week. I don't know if I have ever can remember in the history of my ministry, 50 years, that I've ever witnessed a more divine, ordered connection than this, a more purposely revealing of God's will than this. This, to me, is as crystal as you could get. Not only was it preceded by months of intercession... Survail, death, multiple confirmations from different things—what I would call circumstantial confirmations—and then multiple uh, multiple confirmations from established apostolic prophetic leaders. See, the greater the change you make, the more confirmation you must seek, because everything that you do is can be life-changing. And this was so life-changing. But this was so monumental that it required a process, a journey, in order to come to the conclusion that gave us the confidence that this was right. Because our whole life, and not only ours, but your life, held it, was held in the balance. Because what would it be like to walk 50 years as a pastor? And then the last... And then within a month's time, make the most serious mistake that you could possibly make. That would be tragic for us because then we wouldn't be remembered for the 50 years of faithfulness. We'd be remembered for the dummies that blew it in the end. You see what I'm saying? And so when I tell you, and you don't don't have to trust me in what I tell you. But when I tell you this, I'm telling you this with complete confidence. That what the steps that we've took to get to this place, to me, have been so divinely ordered of the Lord. That it wouldn't make any difference what, the, what we see in the natural. I believe it's so ordered of God that God will do something out of this that will be the most incredible. I, I fully expect, and some of you may scoff at this, and I don't blame you. I fully expect... That year, two years from now, I'll be able to look back and say, that was the best decision and the most divine-led decision that I've ever made in my life. Because I believe it will produce more fruit, more expression of Christ, more demonstration of his presence than anything that I've ever done. I really believe, as great as the glory has been in this house at times, not all the time, but there's, we've had... many impressions of glory that I believe that greater will be the glory in the latter house than that which has been in the former. Now, if you don't see that now, that's okay. If you don't understand it, that's okay. Believe me, it took me six months to see it. It took me six months to understand it. It took me six months to work through it. And I've asked a lot of you to work through it in a few minutes or a few days. And I don't blame you if you're skeptical, if you are one of those that are. I don't blame you if you're doubting. I don't blame you because I understand. Because believe me, there was no one more skeptical or more doubting of this process than me. I had to be convinced the hard way. I mean, it was, you asked my wife (laughs) Yes, the ones that walked closest with me of the of the times that I didn't know if I would make it. Because the greatest challenge in all of this was that I didn't want to disappoint God, for one, but a close second, I didn't want to disappoint you. I didn't want your faith and your trust in our leadership for all these years to be something that would let you down. I would rather stay in this pulpit until I'm 90 years old and fall over dead with a heart attack than to disappoint you because you mean everything to me because you're God's people. So I'm just saying that to say this decision was the hardest decision of my life. But If you go back and listen to that message from two weeks ago called Let's Change, in fact, that message is actually going all over the country it's touched many people because the process of change is always requires climbing up the mountain to the cross. And it's only when you get on the cross that you understand the scripture when Jesus said he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. So once I got on the cross and once I died, then I, all of a sudden I can begin to see what God had. Now, I am literally overdosing with encouragement. In fact, I'm, I feel like if I get more encouraged, they'll probably have to lock me up for intoxication of encouragement. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it's, really, it's really weird. If I were to show you how encouraged I am and show you how excited I am about this right now, it might offend some of you because some of you are still in the sad part of it. <laughs> and so it's kind of a, I don't want to get too wound up because I don't want you to get uh, offended because I'm encouraged and you're dying. You know what I'm saying? It's that, that really, <laughs> how many of you have ever been, you've been around someone and they're so happy and they're so joyful and you're going, oh my God, you know, and they're, and they're just dumping around and saying, shut up and cry with me. <laughs> Why are you so happy? This ought to be the saddest moment of our life. But yes, but it's also the one wonderful moment of our life. These were the worst of times. And now they become the best of times. How many believe God? I'm going to read you something. There's a man in this city. How many have ever heard of Dan Davis? Dan Davis and um, what's her name? Joanne. Joanne, I met Dan and Joanne in 1984 when we first moved to Austin. I went to a little group of pastors. We just formed, a few weeks after I got here, we formed the Austin Area Pastors Association. And Dan Davis was the man that formed this. And Dan is considered the grandfather of the charismatic movement in Austin. Was it 1976 that these guys... Ruth knows because she went there. I, when I first knew Ruth, she was like 22 years old, and uh, she's not much older than that now. Shame on you for marrying a child bride. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Dan started Hope Chapel, and out of Hope Chapel, from Church of the Hills was a plan of theirs. Hope in the City, and Dan's about what 82 years old now, I guess, and. Uh, the last few years, he's pretty much stepped down from uh, you know, active pastoring, but yet he's still been the leader. In fact, we went to 1996 with the Austin Area Pastors Association, and I have a kind of a distinguishing thing that happened, and it's, I'm not, I'm not going to put this on my resume. I was the president of the Austin Area Pastors Association in 1996 when we voted to disband it. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, Rob Coke from out at, uh, what's that little church out North shoreline, shoreline Rob Coke from shoreline. Do you know, did you know that shoreline had its beginning here at this church that we had a split <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, all of his worship team and leadership came from our church. And that was the, that was the nucleus of shoreline. Uh, did you know that, um, um, Church of Glad Tidings building that they're in now got that building because of us because a man was going to give me five hundred thousand dollars his aunt died and he couldn't stand her and he was rich and he said I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the five hundred thousand dollars because I don't want the money I don't want to touch her money I said fine I'll touch it you know <laughs> well anyway he got mad <laughs> some people get mad and he left and he joined. Church of Glad Tidings and he gave them the $500,000 and that was able to get them the building they got down Conning Lane. <laughs> so anyway, we, we have started a lot of things out of this church <clears throat> inadvertently. <laughs> but Dan, Dan is, um, I highly respected. Uh, just about all the new guys, and there's so many new churches in Austin. Did you know, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches. Uh, Richard Nash, who's a good, very close friend of mine out at True Life, um, you know, and I counseled with Richard during this process as well because I trust his heart. But uh, <laughs> Richard um, went to a meeting a couple of years ago, pastors. There was like 400 pastors there from the greater Austin area. And I didn't know about it or I would have went. It was like, like a retreat. And he, and he called me up and said, Pastor Bill, I wish you'd went to the retreat. I said, why didn't you tell me? He said, I wish you would have went because I was the oldest one there. And if you had been there, you would have been the oldest one there. I said, oh my God, we're not that old, Richard. What do you mean? He said, yeah, we are. So, uh, <laughs> so Dan uh has been kind of the father here in the city uh, for many years they they call me a father but i don't consider myself a father like dan davis this guy's awesome and uh love him to death then over the years he's also he started many of the current austin groups that that meet and uh, pray together pastors and stuff. So, when Bethel Church started their church a year ago, September, they called Dan and Joanna and Richard and Sylvia Nash and Sue and I to go and bless Bethel Church as the fathers. And uh, so we went and uh, Eric, um, Eric Johnson had us come up and had us pray over Joaquin and uh, <laughs> Renee. And uh, so we each one prayed over them and Dan prayed over them. And, and when I saw Dan at the meeting there, we hadn't seen each other in a long time. It was so wonderful to embrace one another. He's got kind of the Parkinson's and stuff now, you know. And uh, so Dan sent me an email the other day and this just touched my heart. Because I so respect, he'd seen the letter on Facebook. By the way, I posted the letter on my Facebook page. And we've had over a thousand people that have looked at that. We've had people sharing it. We've had, I've had people contacting me from all over the country. And um, Dan wrote these words. Dear Bill, I was so pleased to see your announcement regarding your next step of ministry. Now, that's nice when someone said, we're pleased with that, right? I was pleased to welcome Ross to the city. In fact, when Ross came, he sat down with Dan. When Joaquin and Renee came, the first one, they sat down with was Dan. And the list goes on and on of the pastors that have come to the city in the last 20 years. There's been myriads of them come here because Austin's a hot place to go. And they all sat down with Dan. Dan, we want your approval. If you don't approve, we won't come. I, believe, I was pleased to welcome Ross to the city and believe that God brought him to the city for significant kingdom purposes. How beautiful it is to see you provide a launching pad for the next phase of this part of God's initiative here. I commend and bless you for your years of faithfulness and courage. You have done well. You and I never partnered directly because the Lord has given us different assignments. I always knew that you loved me and you always had my back. I endeavored to do the same for you. I love you and pray great grace for this next season of your life. Amen. Amen. Reach your hand up. Lord, we bless Dan, the Davises, in Jesus' name. Bless them with health and a long life. Thank you for their gift to the city. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I wrote, hey, Dan, thank you for your kind words and encouragement. We are very excited about the next step in our journey and feel that one chapel is in a way a completion of all we have believed for. Hope to see you guys in the near future. Blessings, Bill. So that was a good word. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's get in a little bit into the word this morning because I just want to kind of touch on some things and not keep you too much longer. How many have already felt like you got more than you can handle for the rest of your life? Okay. (laughs) Hallelujah. I kind of want this to be a prophetic thing to you. I want to preface it a little bit because with a prophecy, um, most of you are familiar with Sean Bowles. And Sean and I met first in 2008. And God gave us a special bond. We were in a service here in 2008. And this was right during a time that it was crazy. I knew that Thursday night when we had the first service, when we had like 700 people here, I knew that we were in for a wild weekend. And the glory was so powerful. And uh, so on a Saturday afternoon, Sean was here speaking. And what happened, I'd originally scheduled Todd Bentley to come in for that week. Well, the outpouring happened in Lakeland, Florida, and Todd couldn't come. And so, Todd felt bad about it. He texted Sean, Sean, can you go be with Bill Hart And Sean said, "Well, I was on my way to be with you <laughs> because he never had been to the Lakeland revival he never i don 't think he ever made it after that and uh, so he, Sean came instead, and so i didn 't know who sean was i didn 't know that he was a teenage prophet in the Kansas City movement back in the in the '80s. And I didn't know the reputation that he carried and wasn't near the reputation that he carries now. It was really at the beginning of God revealing him to the earth. And now he's recognized probably uh, in many quarters that we walk in is probably the, the most significant and the most impactful prophet voice in the world today. I happen to be in a meeting with him. I was with Bill Vanderbush and Darren, and we were at Bethel Church in Redding, California when uh, the angel had been here the month before. This was about, what, four years ago or five, and five maybe, and this had been with us in September. We were there, I think, in October, early November, and uh, while we were, uh, when Sean and I saw each other, we always have this big reunion because we've had a lot of laughs together. He still thinks about the time that he was here with Jeremy Nelson and we went to a Starbucks. And I, and I said, I, I can't go in there. And they said, why? I said, well, I've never been in one of those places. And they, they had never gotten over the fact I'd never been in a Starbucks. In fact, I think I've only been in two in my life. Amen. See, I got delivered before you guys did. Um, <laughs> and so... Uh, so Sean and I saw each other there at Bethel and, and we were so excited. We hadn't seen each other in a while, you know, a couple of months and we were hugging and laughing and we, we going to the men's room together and we're cutting up. In fact, the whole men's room was cutting up the time they left because Sean and me were cutting up because we were saying some things that I cannot repeat in church. And, uh, and so the, I'm just having a good time. So we get back in the sanctuary and so Bill and, And Darren and I are sitting there. And and so Bill Johnson gets up and says, hey, um, hey, Finley. Yeah, come see Papa. I haven't got my Finley touch in about a a week. Come see Papa. Say hi. (laughs) Hi. Everybody here loves you. You know that, don't you? Yeah, she knows she knows she's cute, right? You know, we tell these three-year-olds how cute they are. Kind of goes to their head after a while, you know. <laughs> and uh, but she she is cute, and Falcon too. Falcon's a boy, um, so 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 he's not cute. He's handsome, right? So we're we're sitting there and. Uh, Bill Johnson gets up and he's supposed to bring the service that night. He's supposed to bring the word. So we're all anticipating Bill. We all love to hear Bill. And uh, he said, hey, Sean Bowles is here and there's something unusual happening. And you guys, I want you to hear Sean. So Sean gets up there and I didn't know about the angel, but just A few weeks before that, right after he'd been here, and i like to contribute to the fact he was here, I think one of our angels went with him. (laughs) We're still looking for the replacement for God to send. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) did you hear that, Lord? Amen. Hold up your hands. Lord, send the angels. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Wow. And... uh, So, Sean begins to tell the story how the angel, this angel, started coming to him. And the night before a meeting, and he would speak to him all these things about the people that he was to minister to. Well, this was different because he didn't know he was going to speak. So, the angel didn't show up the day before. So, for the first time, the angel stood with him on the platform. And Sean was like, I hope this works. But while he's, so he starts talking, and there's people there from all over the world. You know, the Bethel conferences have all these people from all over the world. And so Sean starts calling out people by name, many times by address, and then telling all this stuff and then prophesying. And every single one, I guess it was like 15 total, every single one was 100% accurate. And uh, while he's talking, before he gets through with all those, we're watching. And Bill Johnson stands up and points and says, look at his left ear. Because Sean said the angel just came and is standing over here. And Sean's bow's left ear was beat red. I mean, everyone could see it. it it's weird to look at someone. they got one super red ear and one regular ear. You know, it's very noticeable. And so this angel was speaking to him, standing a few feet away from him, speaking into his ear. And that ear became red. I'm just giving that background because of the respect I have for Sean. And When Sean was here in September, um, him and Bob Hansen, he did his one-night deal. How many were here for that? We had over 500 people here for that, that night and that day and that night. And so during the course of that day, I got to spend over two hours with Sean, which was a great treat for, for me. And... This was right at the beginning of this struggle on seeking God, uh, finding the will of God. This was after Ross and one chapel had been here and had a worship service on our Friday night. But there was no decisions made. There was no clear course direction. I'm still resisting it. I'm still going through this whole issue. And so I'm telling Sean, I said, Sean, I really need your counsel. I really need your input. And so he said, what is it? So I told him. And the first thing out of his mouth, he said, Bill, you need this more than you know, because until you let this happen, God has put a word in you that the body of Christ needs, and it'll never be released as long as you're in this situation. And uh, I'm not th- that's not what I want to hear, you know because I don't want to be released, I don't want to travel, I don't want to go places. But <laughs> Sue said, "You're speaking for yourself." No. And then he and then he prophesized at the end of the meeting. He prophesies over Sue and I. And he talks, he complimented us and had us stand up and he said, "Bill, I see you and Sue being released to do what ministry vacations. Ministry vakes, they call them go out and minister and also have a little vacation. So it it prompted me last week to find this prophecy that Sean spoke over me in 2008. And uh, I wanted to read a little bit of that this morning. Unless I left it at the house. I did not. You're lucky. So this is what... Sean began to prophesy me over me. On that Saturday afternoon, we had given Sean $10,000 to launch his new church in Hollywood. And we were the first church that sowed into that ministry called Expressions 58. They've gone on now, Expressions 58, uh, to become a worldwide outreach to Uh, musicians and actors and people in the arts. It's an incredible ministry. Sean is no longer the senior pastor of that. He stepped down three or four years ago to pursue the gifting of God upon his life. But we were the first church that sowed a seed into Expressions 58 in Hollywood, California. And uh, the glory was so powerful. Darren was leading a song, just the guitar, and there was about 200 people here on a Saturday afternoon, and there, there was the services at night had been incredible. But this, you know, Saturday afternoon, you've just had lunch, you're kind of subdued, and you're kind of like, you know, just we're just kind of like setting here, and there's no, no hype, there's no nothing. and But the glory came, and I turned to Sue. I said, Something's fixing to happen. And there was no indication of it, there was no manifestations. There was no outward, but the glory. It was one of the most powerful glories I'd ever experienced. Did you know some of the most powerful glories you ever experienced come with no emotions? Just close your eyes a minute. Let your presence come, Lord. To right in the middle of that, he began to thank us for the gift. And, and then all of a sudden, he stopped. And he later on said, that was the most anointed he had ever felt in prophecy. And he, so he looked at me and began to prophesy to me. 2008, June of 2008. And obviously, when you get prophesied to, you look at it as something for now, but I've learned a long time ago that prophetic words sometimes are now words. I think someone told me that, the guy's about this tall and <laughs> about 75 years old, sometimes prophecies are now words, <laughs> sometimes prophecies are future words, and so this is what John said, and later he said, this is the greatest anointing I've ever felt prophesying, and that, that's what sealed the deal with us. This is what he said, the prophetic gifting that's on your life is about to open up in visions again. I know you've been seeing, but I feel like there's a whole other level. It's weird. But I feel like I saw Francis. Talking about Francis, Japan. Francis and Mahash and all those other guys you've been around with for years. You've labored to bring in the anointing into Austin, into every place you've lived. But now the Lord is going to labor to send you out. And there's coming in and going out. And I feel like there's a strategy over the church where you're going to know how to reorganize and restructure the church. Does that sound familiar? In the next season. And I say that this is going to be done governmentally. So governmentally means there's a changing of authority. Amen. Wow. I'm taking a prophetic platform, but I feel like the church... That here you need to just release the leadership to make new decisions and repattern the leadership. Then he talks about, I believe that you've labored for thirty years specifically, but it's somewhere around thirty to thirty-one years ago. And this didn't make a lot of sense because that didn't even meet the timeline. But it only made sense last Sunday morning when I pulled this prophecy out because it was nineteen eighty-nine. Between 30 and 31 years ago, right now, that I was caught up to be with the Lord at the Trudy's restaurant, and in that catching away, that how long, two hours, or three hours, three hours, I was gone to be with the Lord, caught up in a trance, and Donna was one of the ones that were there, and I sat there like this and didn't move for three hours. Because I had been caught up. It was the same thing that Paul described. And I'm not quoting myself with the Apostle Paul. But it was the same exact experience. Whether in the body or out of the body. I know not of. But I was caught up into the third heaven. into to, to see, see things that I could not even utter. And that's still true to this day. There are certain things I saw that I cannot utter nor can I explain. But the most vivid memory of all those that catching up was the... The encounter with the Lord, when I, the Lord gave me His handshake, and y'all have seen that that you've been here, the handshake of the Lord. Then He led me down this port, this uh, like port porch, and we walked into this room. And when we did, we stood in this room, and the room was undefinable by its size because in the kingdom, in heaven or the, we'll call it the, the kingdom or heaven, what do you call it, you don't define things the way we define it. So I don't know if it's a small room or a big room because everything lives there and you can't define it by yards or meters or whatever. And we're standing there and I could, of course, see my, you can see everything that's going on plus you're there yourself. So I saw my hair turning gray and we know that, um, it's not a natural gray that we're looking for, okay? Because I don't want to be the natural gray. But I saw my hair turning gray, and I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, what does this mean? And the Lord said, this is my wisdom. And the moment I, he said that, the roof of the room opened up. And the Lord was embracing me, holding on to me. And then we shot up in the air like Superman. And Lois Lane. I was Lois Lane. He was Superman. (laughs) But I wasn't Lois Lane. I was uh, uh, Jimmy. (laughs) Yeah. Jimmy. Anyway. So we're flying up in the air. And I'm looking down. And it was so amazing. Because I could see the earth. And I saw little patches. And... I'm thinking, my mind is thinking, that looks like farmland. Because sometimes you fly over certain parts of our nation, you'll see patches, and you're flying at 35,000 feet, you think it's just farm, you know, it's farms. And I said, Lord, what is that? And he clearly said, Those are the nations of the earth. And um, then about that time, we stopped, and all of a sudden, he wasn't there. Well when he wasn 't there, guess where I was, headed straight down <clears throat> at one hundred and twenty miles an hour, however, however, however you fall, whatever your speed is, but I had no parachutes. <laughs> I mean, I was scared because i was that was I was there it wasn 't like it was some vision it was I actually was experiencing this reality in my consciousness, and so it 's a very frightening thing. But I wasn't super afraid because I felt, well, if God's been with me you know, this far, then surely he'll save me at the last. So as I'm coming down feet first, faster and faster, uh, I look around and I see all these people and they're all running, they're all moving towards me. And uh, as I get closer, my, I, my speed slowed down and I begin to come down feet first. In the middle of I did, involuntarily my hand went up and I said in a loud booming voice, Behold, I've come in the name of the Lord. And what I did, there was an emanation of his presence that came and swept over the people. And so when I read this last Sunday morning that this thing of 31 years ago, he said, I see that you, I say 30 years specifically, but there's a promises around 30 or 31 years ago. It dawned on me last week that 30 or 31 years ago was when The visitation of the Lord came, 1989. So I said, oh, wow, now it makes sense. Because everything in this word, as I read it, maybe some of it applied then, but I see now all of it applies now. So this freaks me out. Because you go back then also to the word that Dale Gentry brought a year ago in January. Hi, Finley, I love you so much. You go back a year ago to Dale Gentry brought the word. You need to go find it in our archives, on the website. Uh, he spent the whole message prophesying about the apostolic anointing. And you know, if you've been around me any time, I've never sought nor do I now seek any kind of title called anything. Because I believe that that's inappropriate. That we're never to seek a title or a position only God can do that. But anyway, this is what was spoken. And I love this stuff because it, it so confirms what's happening. And guess what? I'm not going to get to what I was going to tell you this morning. So you just have to, you just have, this will have to be good enough, right? Okay? Everybody say, this is good enough. Yeah. Yeah. See, but it's probably beyond that. You've been walking for a long time. And, and, but Jesus at 30 years declared Luke 4.18. You know, this is when the spirit of the Lord is upon me. When Jesus announced his ministry out of Luke 14, that was the quoted, quoting Isaiah chapter 61, for he's anointed me to preach the gospel. He's anointed me to do all these things, to Preach good tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to bring comfort to those that mourn. And then it goes on to talk to about to rebuild the ruins and to establish, basically it says in Isaiah, and I was going to preach today, but I won't get there, to establish the kingdom of God in the midst of you. And said so there's a proclamation anointing in this next season that's going to come to you to declare that these things will be fulfilled. And he said, There's something about the Lord's anointing for you for proclamation gift that will be followed up with signs and wonders in the kingdom. As I see your eyes opening like a prophet, but I see your hands building like an apostolic leader, teacher. Actually, there's an apostolic teaching gift that's on your life, it's what the body needs to hear at large. It's not too late. And this is what he was speaking to me in September as well. It's not too late. He purposely preserved you in this house. Doing it here so you can export it from it, from this home, from a family and not as an intenderate ministry. And I believe that's powerful for you're going to represent a people when you go out. That's what I see you becoming a covering for many it's a powerful thing. No way is it a shift out of being a father. But it's a shift into a higher fathering. It's a powerful thing. Then he prayed. He said, let's pray. And he said, Lord, let this be a seeing gift over his life. God, I pray that everything that he's already labored into and prayed for, we ask for that in a double portion to manifest. This prophetic mantle, this apostolic building gift position is for the body of Christ. God, we need this couple to come forth. Bill and Sue, Lord, bring them forth. The emerging army needs this general. You're serious about this, God, I know, but we're serious about our hunger for it. So would you allow your his eyes, Lord, to be opened this week, would you allow him to see differently? Well, I'm going to tell you, this is, I didn't see differently then, but now I do. I see and hear differently than I've ever seen and heard before. Amen. And so I don't think this was a now word. I think it was a preparatory word for the future. That one day it would come back and the Lord said, remember what I've spoken to you. Amen. And so since that time, it's not just been what Sean has spoken, but it's been time after time, confirmation after confirmation, the word of the Lord keeps coming, speaking the same thing. And now the Lord is saying, This is the season. This is going to be fulfilled in your midst. During this process of of going through this to this decision that we've made. I had to come. I came to the place literally that I thought ministry for me was over. I thought that you know I would used to get up and I guess jokingly say, "Well, if I could just be a house keep, uh, just be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord, I'll be happy." I'd always look at Miss Gloria and all you fine ladies that, some men that greet people out front. I thought, well, that's the, the most prized job of all." And I'm thinking, well, now maybe in this deal, I'll be over at one chapel when they're, and I get to hug all the pretty girls and, and all the babies. I'm thinking, then I got to thinking, hell, that's not such a bad thing. But that's kind of what I'd resign myself to. I'm thinking, this is the end of who I am. Might as well face it. I'll am just now, i just be an old guy sitting in the church and, and maybe they'll let me be a greeter if I'm nice. And that so it probably wouldn't last very long. They'd probably kick me out of being a greeter. Because they, you don't greet like that. You're supposed to greet like this. And, and then pretty soon they'd fire me. Because you know how I am. I'm getting stubborn. <laughs> and so that's kind of where I came to. I came in this last few months. I came to the point that I just had to give it up. I just had to say, okay, it's over. And I really thought it was over. I thought... That if I, when, I, when I told you guys, I thought y'all would be, you would, you would probably say, preacher, wait a minute, don't continue. And you'd all run out to the store and buy eggs and come back in and throw them at me. That's what I felt. I felt like y- y- y'all would be going back and saying, man, he's abandoning us. After 35 years, he said he'd never leave us or ever forsake us. And then and I I was visualizing, well, I'm not going to leave. Y'all still be the greeter. You know, and... <laughs> I mean, it was horrible until I saw the purpose of God. Not just for me. And God knows I'm not ambitious. Sue's not ambitious. We don't want to travel. We don't want to do this stuff. And I don't know how much traveling we'll do. But I do know that we're not going to stop the word. We're going to take the word. And we're going to get this word begin to move in a different level than what we've ever seen before. And he goes on to pray. Oh goodness. This emerging army needs this, you know. You're serious about this, God, I know. But we're serious about our hunger for it. So would you allow his eyes to be opened? Would you allow him to see differently? Would you allow supernatural encounters that would reposition his faith? Even things that have been taught before, that you would allow him to see a whole new dimension, that you would allow his teaching gift to have such a prophetic insight that people would come from afar to hear it, that people listen on the internet to hear, that people watch on TV to hear because they're saying, Who is this? How did he get the clarity for this season? You're going to raise him up to be a voice of clarity and understanding for the season that we're in. That you're going to use his teaching gift to position the faith that the old and the new will be drawn into. The old will say, how do we do it? And they'll hear his voice. This voice the new will be saying, we're doing it this way. And they'll hear this confirmation is going to impart energy again for the fullness It's going to impart energy again for the fullness. I see this depleted thing, but he's going to give you strength, abundant strength, 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 strength. This week, I'm so encouraged, as I told you, they're going to have to lock me up because I've never been this encouraged in years. I've never been this excited in years. What I'm fix what we're fixing to see break forth in our midst. Not just for me, not for Sue, but for you. You stand in the place of the greatest opportunity, I think, that most people have never had the opportunity to stand. Because when you see this process through, you will be astounded at the fruit that God brings forth. Because out of this union, Out of this joining together will come forth a platform for this whole word that was spoken right here to be fulfilled in your midst. And that the word of God will will come forth and it will spread and it will become a testimony to to those outside that will say, How, Lord, could this be done? But yet then they will see it and they say, This is the way it shall happen. It shall happen because when two shall come together as being separate with one heart, with one mind and one soul. And once they join their hearts in oneness, then out of that oneness, there will come an anointing that will be the greatest anointing that any of us have ever beheld or seen before. So don't be dismayed nor be discouraged by what you've heard. Don't allow the enemy to sow a tear into your heart that brings deception to cause you to be separated and divided when at the very moment we're at the point of the greatest unity that we've ever beheld before in our own life. So don't be deceived, brethren, by the passing winds or the things that would come that would speak unto you that would not be the true word of the Lord. But let the true word of the Lord come into your heart and break that deception and cause you to humble yourself before him. And so he can plant upon your heart a seed that cannot be robbed from you or taken from you, nor will it ever fall to the ground and die, but it shall bring forth a fruit. That will astound you. And cause you to rejoice. Hallelujah. This is the hour. This is the hour. Of incredible opportunity. It's not going to happen overnight. No time. My dad was a farmer. And by... By association, I had to be a farmer too, even though when I got old enough there's no more farming for me. But I grew up on the around the farm. I, I, I worked farms from the time I was six years old, hoeing cotton. My dad get me and my buddies out there and hoe that cotton. We didn't hoe the cotton now we hold the weeds. Then the cotton got a little bigger and we got a little older, we started picking cotton. that 's work. Yeah. Then I got a little older and I started driving the tractor. So I learned from my dad from an early age. And I, I saw the process. And I always respected my dad for the patience that he had because I, I couldn't see it at the time. How in the world can you wait months until you finally see something sprout? And you keep pulling, and I keep thinking, I, I don't think they're going to sprout this year. No, Dad said, this is going to be all right. They're going to come up. It's going to happen. And we'd go every year in December and January after the harvest, and we'd take and we would, we would, we would plow the ground with these deep, furrowing plows called spades. I guess they were called spades. What were they called? And they go way down deep, about a foot, and it just chews up the ground and breaks up the fallow ground. It's the same thing that God does with your heart. He begins to break the fallow ground. And sometimes if your heart is resistant, the more painful it becomes. And I've learned this over the years. To be a quick study and not allow my heart to resist the Lord. Because every time I do, it hurts. It hurts deep. And we just we just tore that ground up. (laughs) But what we were doing, we weren't mad at the ground. This is no more than what God is mad at you. He's just simply trying to get you ready for something new. So he can plant a seed, he put a grain into your heart. And God places that grain so tenderly within us. And then the rain begins to come. The early rain begins to come. And then he comes again. This time not as severe, but he uses a cultivator and he sends it into the field and breaks the ground up gently. It also begins to remove the weeds. And it makes the ground even more susceptible to the rain. Then the sun comes. The hard times come, the sun comes, it begins to bear down, bear down, the heat bears. And then eventually the little grain of wheat, the little seed dies and it springs forth a whole new life. And it comes up out of the ground as a brand new creation, totally unrecognizable for what it was, but now it's alive and we rejoice in it. But that's only the beginning of the process. Because the Lord says, now I want you to tend to the crop until it's complete. I want you to watch it grow. I want you watch I want to watch you to watch it maturate. I want you to watch it bloom and bear its fruit. Because the Lord said, I'm going to harvest. So the cycle goes on and on and on. One waters One sows, one plants, one harvests, but God gets the glory. What we're going to see in this house, God is going to get the glory. I don't really care about a position. I don't really care about my future. All I care about that I hope to live long enough to see the fullness of the fruit of what God is going to do because there's a people that humble themselves and open their hearts to receive the thing that God wanted them to do. And many times a great sense of loss to us. It's just a hard thing because No one here wants to lose what we've had. We might not be many of us, but we sure love what we got. I mean, there's no better worship team in the world than these guys. If it wasn't for me, you'd have a big church. I mean, if you were just to base it on the worship, you'd have a big church. But then I have to get up and talk. And I tend to blow it. Sue always told me that. If it wasn't for you, we'd have a big church. I mean, we've had thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people pass through this house. Not so much in the last year or two, but over the years, my goodness, thousands. I look back at the old pictures and the hundreds and thousands of members that we've had, that we had back in the 80s and the early 90s, and I have no clue who they are. I'll have people come in here, Pastor Bill, remember me? Uh... <laughs> I was here 35 years ago. Well, I would maybe remember you if I saw you the way you looked 35 years ago, but I don't remember you now. And the only reason you know me is because you know I'm here, right? I don't look the same either. Some people say better. But um, the. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, the, this is all, it's all about one thing, isn't it? Some of you are going to be disappointed. I'm disappointed. Some of us, oh my God. But in the long run, we're going to rejoice. Weeping cometh in the midnight, but joy cometh in the morning. We will rejoice and bring our sheaves with us. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Amen. Amen. I'm sorry, Lord, I didn't get into the word. I couldn't help myself. I just got into something else. Next week, I'm going to play the 10-minute video that was presented this morning over at the One Chapel campus. And uh, so hope you come to see that. And I'm going to actually get to preach next week, hopefully. Amen. Would you all stand up with me?